0: After Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Lord, we are now going to give attention to your word. And I pray that as I speak, that it would be your word, that I'm speaking that anything that is not in accordance with your word that you would just take away from our minds take away from our thoughts that we may focus on that which you have taught us because man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God give us minds give us ears and give us hearts to hear your word, and to respond to it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer is not easy. In fact, genuine, meaningful, mindful prayer is hard work. It's a fight. You know, the the mind rambles, the body complains, the imagination checks out to go play a round of golf, the memory suddenly bring something to mind that we have to do later that day. Our logical faculties protest a prayer that it doesn't make sense and our will says, let's go, we don't have time for this. Prayer's hard work. Dallas Willard confessed in a well-known book called The Spirit of the Disciplines as he wrote, the open secret of many Bible-believing churches is that a vanishing small percentage of those talking about prayer are actually doing what they're talking about. And pollster George Gallup, you know, the Gallup poll, gathered statistics on prayer. And he discovered that while prayer is challenging for all, men in particular are particularly guilty of neglecting prayer. We live in an action-packed culture. Our superstars leap tall buildings with a single bound. But do they pray? No. This morning I want to talk about prayer. I'm moved to talk about prayer. I'm burdened to talk about prayer. I have been pondering the things of this sermon that I'm going to preach this morning for better than a year now. So I've been thinking about this. But as I do, I hasten to add that I am no master of prayer. Far from it. I'm simply like one beggar Telling other beggars where he found some bread in hopes that you too may some may find some bread here also. This morning I'm going to share with you from a prayer that we commonly know as the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, and I want to share some things that I have learned and that I have experienced in growing in my own discipline of prayer as I have applied what Jesus teaches in this prayer called the Lord's Prayer. So would you please turn to Matthew chapter 6, and I will start reading beginning at verse 5. Matthew 6, verse 5 through 15. This is Jesus speaking, the Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. As I said, I want to focus on these well-known words, the Lord's Prayer. But before that, we do that. Just a few preliminary observations from the surrounding context and the surrounding teaching. First of all, Jesus teaches us that prayer needs to be done in private. Verses 5 and 6. In particular, verse 6. He says, go into your inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father in secret. Now, that does not forbid praying in public in a church service, but public prayer should be just the tip of the iceberg in our prayers. You know, an iceberg has 10% of its mass visible above the water and 90% of its mass below the water. In the same way, those of us who occasionally pray in public in a church service let 90% of our prayer life be in secret. Behind that closed door, just like an iceberg, 90% is unseen. Prayer should be done in secret. Second observation, prayer should not be meaningless repetition. Verses 7 and 8. Jesus teaches us that to say the same thing over and over and over again is meaningless. The word means empty, void, worthless, useless. And I'm sure you know that the Lord's Prayer is often used in exactly the way that Jesus said that prayer should not be used, as people just repeat it over and over again without much thought. Some Tibetan monks, they tell us, have a thing called a prayer wheel. It's something like a pinwheel. It's turned by the wind. It goes around and around and around. And they attach their prayers, little slips of paper with prayers written on them, to the edges. And they believe that as the wheel turns, their prayers come up to God again and again and again. And it's meaningless, useless. In the same way, if our prayers are nothing but wind... Without the mind behind them, they are meaningless and useless. Now, Jesus is about to say in verse 9, pray in this way. The, the Greek word translated this way has the idea of a model, a pattern, a, a, a manner for our prayers. Jesus is giving us a pattern to follow, not a prayer to repeat mindlessly. Now, I'm not saying we should never repeat the Lord's Prayer word for word, but I am saying if we are going to do that, let us think about what it means very carefully, lest we fall into this pit of meaningless repetition. Prayer should be done in secret. Prayer should never be meaningless repetition. And then third, prayer should reflect on a relationship with God the Father. Did you notice how many times, even in just the short section that I read, that Jesus mentioned your Father? The prayer begins with the words, Our Father who art in heaven. He speaks of your Father who sees what you do in secret. Your Father will reward you. In fact, 12 times in this short chapter, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks of God as our Father. Our prayers need to start with this reflection that God is our Father. Think about that. God has chosen to relate to us not as a king to his subjects, not as a master to slaves, not as a a boss to servants, not as a supreme being to a bunch of little ants, but as a father to his children. That is an amazing thing that the creator of the entire universe would choose to relate to us as a father to children. Now, how does a father relate to a children? Let's just think about a few ways real real quickly. A father loves his children. 1 John 3.1 See how great a love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. As a father, I love my children. Sometimes they frustrate me. Sometimes they drive me bonkers. But I cannot help but love my children. And how much more does a perfect heavenly father love his children? And so as you pray, start with this thought. I'm talking to God who loves me like a perfect father. Second, a father provides for his children. Look down the chapter to, to Uh, Verses 31 and following. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? or What shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Your Father is going to take care of you. Or chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? He's a perfect Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Next, the Father protects his children. You know, one of the most basic things that every father wants to do for his children is protect them from harm. Our Heavenly Father does that better than anyone. Jesus, speaking in, in John 10:29 is speaking about us. When he says, My Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You think of God as Father, and realize that this Father protects you by holding you in the omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful hand of God. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Fourth thought, what does a father do for his children? A father disciplines his children. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of God's discipline. And verse 7 says, God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom a father does not discipline? And it goes on to remind us that that is an act too of love. And then even more so, that discipline is always carried out in compassion. His fifth, the father has compassion on his children. Beautiful verse, one of my favorites, Psalm 103, verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That's just a few illustrations of the relationship between a father and his children. A father loves his children. A father provides for his children. A father protects his children. A father disciplines his children. A father has compassion on his children. And so as you begin to pray, the Lord's Prayer, or whatever prayer you pray, start with this thought. I am praying to the Almighty God, creator of the entire universe, who has chosen to relate to me as his child, his son, his daughter. Romans 8.15, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received a spirit of adoption of sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. God has adopted you as his child, made you his son, his daughter. He loves you with an everlasting love. How great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. So some preliminary observations. Prayer needs to be done in private. Prayer should not use meaningless repetition. Prayer should reflect reflect on this relationship with God as Father. And then last preliminary observation, prayer needs to be done with an attitude of forgiveness toward others. Jesus surrounds this prayer with that thought as well, verse 14 and 15. If you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. When we come to times of prayer, we need to come with an attitude not only of forgive us our debts, but also I think about people that I need to forgive and make sure that I'm not holding an attitude of unforgiveness in my heart. Now That could be an entire sermon in itself, but for now just a, a brief reminder. So with these preliminary observations to kind of guide and surround our thoughts as Jesus does here with the Lord's Prayer, I want to focus on the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. Pray then in this way, a pattern, a, a model, lines for us to follow. There are six specific prayer requests in the Lord's Prayer, and each one of them, I believe, is a pattern for us to follow reflectively, thoughtfully, in our prayers. And I would challenge you, in your personal prayer life, to take these six prayer requests and just take them one by one, pray them, think about what they mean, and reflect upon them. Pray, Jesus says, in this way. The first prayer request in the Lord's Prayer is, Hallowed be thy name. Now understand that those words, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, is a prayer request, not a statement. It does not say hallowed or holy is your name. It says, may your name be treated as holy. And so the first thing that Jesus teaches us to pray is that God's name be treated as holy. Think about that. The first concern of my prayer is that God's name be treated as holy. It's the glory of God's name, not the glory of my name. The first concern in this prayer is, Is not the ease of my life, or the happiness of my life, or the prosperity of my life, but the holiness of God's name. Because far greater importance than all my happiness, than all my comfort, than all my prosperity, is the glory of God's name. And why do we treat, why do we pray that God's name would be treated as holy? Because in the Hebrew mind, the name represents the person. The name stands for all that God is. And so we pray that God's name would be treated as holy because we want God to be treated as holy, honored, revered, worshipped, obeyed, treated with respect and awe. That's what we mean when we say, Thy name be treated as holy. There's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this very graphically. Just listen to the words from Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, priests, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all people, I will be honored. Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Nadab and Abihu were priests, and God had given specific instructions about how to offer the incense, and how to mix the incense, and how to prepare the fire, and they said, You know what? Let's get creative. Let's do it our own way. Let's reinvent worship. And God says, no, I will be treated as holy. You want to offer me strange fire? I'll send you some fire in return. Yeah. But interestingly enough, That word treated as holy, when God says I will be treated as holy, that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the same word that we read in the Lord's Prayer when we read, Hallowed be thy name. I pray that God, your name, will be always treated as holy. And how do we treat God's name as holy? By doing what he says. By obeying him. By honoring him by worshiping him, by respecting him. And so, as you pray, and as you start with even this phrase of the Lord's Prayer, spend some time praying, God, may I always treat your name as holy. May everything I do today bring honor to your name and not shame and dishonor. Then you can even expand that to those that you love and for your church body. May we as a people bring honor and glory to the holy name of God. That's the first prayer request. Second, your kingdom come. To pray your kingdom come is to recognize that we are watching and waiting for the return of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You know, whenever we talk about the kingdom of God in the Bible, there's this tension of already, but not yet. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we're already in the kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And so as you pray, thy kingdom come, you can stop and thank God that you're already part of Jesus' kingdom. But there's also a, an aspect of Jesus tells us to be constantly waiting and watching for His coming, what we call the kingdom, the fullness of, of His reign on Earth, as described in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. But before you ever get there, there's a key verse in Revelation 11:15. Listen to what it says, Revelation 11:15. The seventh angel sounded. That's the seventh trumpet. You know those seven trumpets? The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud cries in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of our Lord and Christ. What does that kingdom look like? I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there no longer shall be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. When you encounter death in this world, when you encounter pain, disease, sickness, horror, mourning, it's time to remember, we live in a world reigned by an asuper, Satan. And we pray, Thy kingdom come. We pray for that day when there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. He showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit. And in every month And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on his, their foreheads, and there no, shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. And it ends with these words, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. When was the last time? in your prayer life, that you prayed for Jesus Christ to come. When you pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's what you're praying. When you pray, thy kingdom come. Take time in your prayer life to reflect on the fact that we live in a fallen world, that we need Christ's kingdom. We need Christ's reign to come. Third prayer request. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The end of verse 10. Just as we are watching and waiting for the full realization of God's kingdom to come, we live on an earth where God's will is not always done. So even before we pray for our daily bread, we place a higher priority on the will of God being done. And you know, when we pray, Thy will be done, we're bringing that focus from, from thy kingdom come, God's reign on all of earth and all of the universe, down to right here in my heart. Thy will be done. Even when there's a tension between God's will and my will. And Let's be honest. There is very often in our lives a tension between my will and God's will. And for me to pray, thy will be done, is for me to recognize that even when that tension exists, God's will is always better. Always better. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? How he prayed, If possible, let this cup pass from me. But then what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And when I pray in the Lord's Prayer... Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am praying, even if there's a tension between my will and yours, your will be done. You know, think about my will. Maybe it's your will too. My will is often selfish. Because I want what's good for me. What's pleasurable for me. Not only is my will often selfish, my will is always short-sighted. When I think about my will and what I want, I have no way of knowing what the consequences of that will be tomorrow or next week or next year. But God knows perfectly how it will all turn out. And so his will is always better. Not only is my will often selfish and always short-sighted, my will does not include trials for my sanctification and my growth. How many of us go around thinking, gosh, I hope I have a really good trial today so that I can grow in patience. Boy, I hope I go through some really tough times this week so that I will grow in faith and perseverance. My will is not for trials for my good and my growth. We don't usually think that way. My will is for our comfort and ease. And so as you reflect on this praise and the Lord's will, stop and think about the fact that his will is always best. His will is always for your good and your growth. His will is that of a Father who loves you, who provides for you, who protects you, who disciplines you, who trains you, and who has compassion upon you. And so even when there's a tension between your will and God's will, pray, thy will be done. And then take this and expand it. Thy will be done in my health. Thy will be done in my job. Thy will be done in my children, for those who have children. And I will often in my prayer life take each one of my children and pray through their situations in life very specifically and say, Thy will be done. (laughs) Thy will be done in my church. Thy will be done in this nation, in this upcoming election, and so on. Thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Now notice how these first three prayer requests. Have all focused around God. Not me. Thy name be honored. And glorified. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Now it's not wrong to pray about myself. And my needs. As Jesus will show us in the next three prayer requests. But we start with this perspective. The glory of God's name. The coming of God's kingdom and the doing of God's will is a far higher priority than even my daily bread. That's the first half of the Lord's Prayer. Focus on God. And then, fourth prayer request is, Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 11. When I pray for my daily bread, I'm confessing confessing several things. First of all, I'm confessing that I am completely dependent upon God for the most basic of my needs, for my bread and even every breath I take. And I stop and I reflect upon my dependence upon God as I pray for my daily bread. Notice also how focused this, this line of the Lord's Prayer is on today. The word today is actually here twice. Give us today our bread for today. This isn't about tomorrow or next year or retirement. It's about our bread for today. Down at the end of the chapter, Jesus says, very last verse of chapter 6, Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself, Each day has enough trouble of its own. Pray for your bread for today. Now, there's also a temptation in life to think that I can be self-sufficient. That I can provide for myself. That I'm a man. I can take care of myself. And You know, these days we have bank accounts and investment accounts and retirement accounts and pensions. and, And we can be tempted to think that we have our bread all taken care of. Thanks, God, I got that handled. I'll take care of that. No, we are totally dependent upon God. And no matter how much you have, remember that it can all be gone in an instant. Remember the story of Job? Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions, listen to this, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, and that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Job had his bread stored up for years to come, we might think. This man was rich beyond imagination. His camels and sheep numbered 10,000. And yet, what happened? In one day, it's all gone. Now, God does not allow that to happen very often. But remember, it can happen. And it may not happen that way and that dramatically, but God can take away your daily bread in an instant. He could put you in a hospital where you can't eat bread and you're fed by a tube. He could take away your life. We are totally dependent upon God. And that's what we confess when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Not only does this prayer communicate our dependence upon God, it also communicates our need for contentment. Notice that it does not say, give us this day our daily filet mignon and tiramisu for dessert, or pecan pie, or whatever your favorite is. It says, give us today our daily bread. Elsewhere, the Bible says, if we have food and covering, with this we shall be content. It is not, give me a Mercedes and a big house. James also warns against praying for things uh, out of evil desires that we may spend it on our pleasures. No, I am praying for my basic needs to be fulfilled, and then I'll be content. Give us today our bread for today. And this is a good time in your prayer life just to stop and think about contentment with what God has given. This is also a good place to stop and be thankful, to reflect on daily bread that God has provided for thousands of days gone by. I have never gone hungry for a day in my life unless I chose to fast. I've never been without a roof over my head and a comfortable bed to sleep in. And so as I pray, give us this day our daily bread I stop and I thank God for that bread and that provision which has come virtually every day of my life. And then as I come to this part of the Lord's Prayer, I stop and I pray about the other kinds of bread I need in life. Lord, give me the bread of health. Lord, give me the bread of wisdom that I need for today. Lord, give me the bread of strength that I need for this day and its challenges. Then I pray this for others that I know and love. Lord, give my son Josiah the bread of wisdom for the particularly tough challenges that he's facing today. Give us today what we really need for today. We will confess our dependence upon you, our contentment with what you give, and our thankfulness for what you have given Every day. Give us today our bread for today. Fifth prayer request. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Verse 12. This verse is speaking very clearly of our need for forgiveness of sin. Each time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we confess that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. Just as we need bread for today, we need forgiveness for sin for today. And so this is a time to stop and confess our sins first John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so if you were to pray the Lord's Prayer for example on a daily basis this would be the point to stop and think about the last 24 hours of your life are there any sins that I need to confess and ask God to forgive me for this day you know it's not always easy to think of my sins. I tend to blot them out. This is a good place to stop and think through my life, my day, segment by segment. Yesterday morning, between the time that I woke up and went to work, if it was a work day, are there any sins that I need to stop and confess? Between the time that I got to work and lunchtime, let's think about what happened. Holy Spirit. Help me to call to mind if there are any sins that I need to confess. Oh yeah, forgive me for my bad attitude about this and such. Forgive me for my anger toward. Forgive me for that awful thought. Forgive me for those harsh words that I spoke. Forgive me for that thing that I should have done, but I did not do. This verse reminds us to be a confessing people. But it also reminds us how important it is to be a forgiving people. Forgive us our debts, our transgressions, our sins, that's the idea, as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. And so, just as it's time to stop and think about sins that I need to be forgiven, it's time to stop and think about sins that I need to forgive. At this point, I have a very honest confession to make. There are a few people in this world who make me mad whenever I think about them because of things that they have done. And I think, God, would you judge that person for what he did? I do. And then I think to myself, what do I want God to do with my sins? Judgment or mercy? I want mercy. And so I have to stop and repent and say, God, even that person that makes me mad, whenever I think about him, would you show him mercy out of love for Christ instead of judgment? And it's time for me to stop and think about the fact that I need to forgive that person. And that's part of my prayer life as I pray the Lord's Prayer. Sixth, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Not only do we confess that we are a people in daily need of forgiveness of sin, we confess that we are a people easily tempted. And just as I, I take the previous prayer request and look back, are there any sins I need to be forgiven? I take this one, And I look forward. Are there any temptations that I suspect may come into my life in the next 24 hours? That I need to pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lord, I'm going to see one of those people who makes me mad. Lead me not into temptation, to bitterness, anger, hatred. Lord, I'm going to come to the church potluck tonight. Lead me not into temptation to stuff myself to the point of gluttony. Whatever it is for you, think about what's coming in life. And pray, lead me not into temptation. And then the second half of this prayer request, it all goes together, is to recognize that there is a very real tempter. The devil, the evil one. This would best be translated, deliver us from the evil one, Satan and all his desires to tempt us, all his plans to lead us away from Christ, all his fiery darts, all his schemes, all his desires to destroy me. Lord, protect me from the evil one and all his schemes. And at this point in my prayer life, I stop and I also pray for my loved ones and my family and my children and my wife and my grandchildren and so on. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. And all that he would desire to do to us. And then finally, there's an ending attitude that surrounds the whole prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that little phrase gives the reason, the thinking behind all of our prayers. The word for, you know the very first word, for yours is the kingdom. That word can be translated because. It gives the reason behind it. And you can take every phrase of the Lord's Prayer and you can say because it's all about your kingdom. Your power. And your glory. Not about my kingdom. Not about my power, which is meaningless. Not about my glory. Lord, I pray that your name would be treated and honored as holy because it's about your glory. Lord, I pray, give me this day my daily bread because it's about your power to deliver that bread. Not about my power. I'm completely dependent upon you. And so you see how this phrase, it's about your kingdom. It's about your power. It's about your glory can be woven as an attitude through the entire prayer. Jesus says, pray then in this way. Verse 9. This is not to be meaningless repetition, but Jesus is teaching us something about how we should pray. It's to be a pattern for our prayers, a model for us to follow. Now, as I said at the beginning, I am no master of prayer, far from it. But this concept has strengthened and blessed my prayer life for some time now. And I make it my habit on a pretty regular basis just to pray the Lord's Prayer in such a way that I take each one of these phrases and meditate on it and pray on it for several minutes. And that has been a great blessing. So I would encourage you and challenge you to try this as well if you're seeking to grow in prayer. In another place in the Bible, Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples to pray. And what did Jesus teach them? Pray then in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. And so on. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that prayer isn't easy. We confess that we try to pray sometimes and our mind wanders. And we think about anything except prayer. We confess, Lord, that sometimes we forget to pray. And we're more interested in doing. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. And Lord, I pray that this brief meditation would strengthen and encourage us to be more Christ-like, and to grow in the discipline of prayer. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.